starting a new series today. Say it after me, the power of one. Over the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about the power of one person, the power of one choice, the power of one act, and the power of one word. I'm very excited about this series. Today, the power of one person. One person, you can go through your Bibles and you're going to see a pattern that God partners with an individual in order to bring breakthrough to a family, to a generation, to a nation. God raises up individuals to be a catalyst, a fire starter, a chain breaker. Come on now. God finds an individual and offers them an opportunity to join him and to do something in a generation. That's what we're gonna talk about today. And so many times those individuals are unlikely heroes. I wanna to talk to those of us today in the house and watching online. Would you welcome everyone watching online? Good morning, God bless you. YouTube. God so many times in scriptures chooses to raise up what we would call in the natural, an unlikely hero. I wanna to talk to those of us in the house today that maybe you wouldn't be your first choice to be a catalyst, a fire starter, a chain breaker. But the truth is there needs to be a generation that rises up again and says, God, here am I, send me. I may not be the one that was chosen first in the kickball tournament. I may not be the one that was chosen first in something when I was in junior high, but God, if you wanna use me, one thing I have is a willing heart. One thing I have is an available set of hands. Amen? That's who we're talking to today. But you can go through the scriptures. You can see the Noahs in scripture. Noah, God comes to Noah. And remember the world, there's, this is, you're gonna see this pattern. The world is in darkness. There's some trauma. There's some struggle that's going on. It's desperate times. And then God comes to a Noah and says, I'm gonna judge the earth. I need you to do something that's full of faith. You're gonna feel a little ridiculous. You're gonna build a boat in the middle of nowhere where there's no water and it's never rained and you're gonna build this big ark and God comes to Noah. God comes to Abraham. God comes to Moses. God comes to Joshua. Are you seeing a pattern? He starts with an individual. He starts with a conversation. God utilizes a Ruth, awakens something of commitment in her heart. She's not aware that it's God, but it's God on the inside of Ruth. God raises up a Deborah to help lead because Israel's been overwhelmed and overcome by enemies and God is about to become a chain breaker and break them out of slavery. God raises up an Esther. Are you seeing a pattern? And all these individuals for one reason or another were surprised by God's opportunity. They might have been unlikely heroes. God raises up a David. God raises up disciples, fishermen, tax collectors. God comes in the form of Jesus. But once again, God starts with a person, a willing person who will partner with him. One person who then becomes a catalyst, a chain breaker, a fire starter. It was messages like this when I was in junior high school. I'm so grateful for our young people in the house today, our junior hires, our high schoolers, college. We love you so much. We have this beautiful front row full, praise God for that. But I remember sitting in a service similar to this when I was an awkward junior hire. Yes, I was an awkward junior hire. 
You might say we're all still a little awkward as adults, right? But we just don't admit it as much. We, we put on better, a better front. But I remember hearing messages like this, that God would want to use my life. And I didn't feel super qualified and I didn't feel super talented. I felt like I was still tripping over my own feet. I felt like I was a little awkward and all these different things, but I wanted to serve God. And I wanted to do something for the glory of God. And I'm calling out to this room and to those watching online to stir up your heart that there would be a generation again, young and mature, who would raise their spiritual hand and say, God, I still wanna do something great with my life. I still wanna be used of God. And God, you see individuals and you partner with individuals to bring your will into the earth. Too many times in this culture, and I love our nation and I love the times we've been given and we've been put into, but I see too many of us and too many of the church that we're so focused on our own lives and so focused on our own happiness and our own prosperity that there's not enough chain breakers being raised up. There's not enough fire starters that say, I wanna live for something bigger than my life. I wanna live for something more than just being happy or just being safe or just being prospered or just being personally successful. I wanna be a success in the kingdom of God, which means bringing other people into successful places and bringing the body of Christ into stronger and healthier and more prosperous places to live for something bigger than myself. And may we be a church with that heart. That's why, again, we don't wanna be a church that just focuses on what happens inside our four walls. There's a city out here. There's a state, there's a nation, there's a generation. I feel like this church is strong enough and big enough to carry a generation Amen. and not just an address. Amen. It's good preaching. One person like a seed. I want you to see that illustration. One person like a seed becomes the catalyst. God sows an Abraham and he becomes a nation. God sows Jesus and the kingdom of God is born through Jesus. You might think you're just one person, but inside of you is the entirety of the kingdom of God. Inside of you is the Holy Spirit, which created the, the earth, the universe. Are you understanding this? God sows you like a seed. When you look at a seed, you don't think it's very powerful, but a whole orchard is inside of that seed. And just like you, you, don't look at just your outward appearance to see your value or your purpose or your power. God can sow you like a seed in the right ground at the right time, and you can produce the fruit that is 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times more than what you could have possibly ever thought or imagined. God is so good at finding the most unlikely candidates and unlocking their potential. I want you to see that because again, we so disqualify ourselves. I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too poor, I'm too bald, I'm too hairy, I'm too heavy, I'm too thin, I'm not enough of this, I'm too much of this. We so disqualify ourselves. I've sinned too much, I haven't sinned enough. And you say, that doesn't make sense. There are those in the room that wonder whether or not God can use them because you don't have this big backstory. You've lived for God your whole life. And you're like, how could God use me when I've just been a nice person my whole life? Because you hear these wonderful, powerful testimonies of massive life change and people coming out of addiction and bondage. And you wonder, how could God use you? Because you don't have a strong story like that. God can use you 
because his Holy Spirit's on the inside of you. His word is in your mouth because you're willing and obedient. Are you hearing me, church? And God can use you if you feel like you have been living right next to the gates of hell. You've been going through it. You've been the worst of sinners. You have been <laughs> filled with demons and, and bondage and all this stuff. And God can use you as well. It's just the trick of the enemy, my friend. The devil will tell you that you're too sinful to be used of God or you're too sanctified to be used of God. But God knows how to plant you, sow you, bring harvest out of your life. God is so good at finding the most unlikely candidates, unlocking your potential and launching them into a hurting world. I mean, he, he found demoniac individuals filled with legions of demons found him, unlocked its potential, and sent him back to the Decapolis where a revival of 10 cities happened in the scriptures. He finds a, a woman thrown in front of him that was a, in, a, in an adulterous moment, and he releases her, forgives her, and unlocks her potential and sends her out. He finds a leper, 10 lepers, and heals their leprosy, and they go out healed and whole, and they hopefully bring that testimony of Jesus' healing power to a lost and dying world. I just want you to see that God is so good at finding unlikely heroes, unlocking their potential and releasing them back out into a hurting world. Amen. The interesting thing about this list that I shared earlier, the Noahs, the Abrahams, the Joshuas, the Davids, all these individuals, is that not all of them began as faithful God followers. Not all of them aspired to do great things or to be an influence. And you'll find that the majority of these leaders were unlikely heroes who didn't know they were about to change the world. You might've just come in today thinking it's a normal average day and God is trying to get your attention. He's trying to awaken a desire and a partnership of faith, but you have to open up your heart and be willing to partner with God. And it's just a normal average day. You don't know that God's about to awaken your potential, sow you into this generation and you're about to impact and change the generation. You just think, I'm just Kevin, or I'm just average mom, or I'm just an average business person. And God is trying to awaken to partner you, to sow you and send you. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 26 through 28 from the Good News Translation says it like this, talking about unlikely hero. Say unlikely hero. Now remember, the apostle says, what you were, my friends, when God called you, God is calling you today. From the human point of view, few of you were wise or powerful or of high social standing. God purposely chose what the world considers nonsense in order to shame the wise. And he chose that which the world considers weak in order to shame the powerful. He chose what the world looks down on and despises and thinks is nothing in order to destroy what the world thinks is important. The apostle here is trying to say, look, you can look around the kingdom of God that was being built at that time in the book of Acts, the revival that was happening around the world. And he was saying, look at you. Look at how many of us God is using right now. And, and we didn't all come from successful, powerful families. We didn't all come from noble homes with a title or people that would have been listened to just because of their heritage. He's saying, look at us, God chose so many of us that the world might have looked at as unqualified, the weak of this world, and yet watch what God can do with their lives. 
Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of 1 Samuel. I wanna to talk to you about David. 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16, you're gonna find the story where God is about to raise up David. Many of you know the story of David and Goliath. We'll touch on it just a little bit. But again, Israel's in a dark time. And we're gonna talk about that in just a minute. There's a need for a hero to stand up. There's a need for God to show up. And what does God do when he shows up? He finds a willing person, one person, that'll then become that leader, that catalyst, that voice, that fire starter, that chain breaker. And in this instance, he chooses David. Going back to what I just said, where God seems to come to those that the world would have overlooked. That in the natural, the leader that God is about to choose is not the leader that you or I would have chosen. Because whenever there's a problem, we have a certain mindset of what a leader needs to look like, what a leader needs to sound like, where a leader needs to come from. And God knows how to bring leaders from places we never expected. God knows what he's put inside of people. We don't know what are, what's on the inside of people. That's why we lead not on our own understanding, amen? First Samuel chapter 16. So God speaks to the prophet Samuel and tells him he's about to anoint a new king. And he says to go to the house of Jesse. And so he does. And when he shows up, when he arrives, verse six, the Bible says this, Samuel took one look at Eliab, which was the oldest son. And he thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. Makes me wonder what Eliab looked like. Tall, dark, and handsome, strong shoulders, strong jawline. Love that jawline. He looked like a leader. This guy's the oldest. Of course, God's gonna use the oldest son. Of course, God's gonna use the tallest, the strongest. And here's what God says. Surely this is, or Samuel says, surely this is the Lord anointed, Lord's anointed, but verse seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not judge by his appearance. Do not judge by his height. For I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's a powerful line. Too many times we do this too. We see a problem, we see a need in a generation, and we're looking to who we believe to be the more, the more successful, the stronger, the one with the most potential. We're looking around for God to choose someone to be the fire starter, the catalyst, the chain breaker, rather than maybe God is just asking you to look in the mirror. You're looking around saying someone needs to do something and maybe the call of God to make that change is right on the inside of you. We blame other people for not seeing those leaders, but we don't even see it ourselves, even in ourselves. Are you hearing this today, church? He says, the Lord does not look on the outward appearance or judge the way that man does. People judge by the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Verse eight, so Jesse, told his son Abinadab to step forward. So here's another one to walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shimea. But Samuel said, neither is this one the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked a pressing question. Are these all the sons you have? 
Jesse responds, there is still the youngest. Jesse replied, but he is out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Samuel says, send for him at once. We will not sit down until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. Hallelujah. You wanna know what I believe personally, why that line beautiful eyes is in there? Because I believe it sounds like what the New Testament says that if the eye is pure, if the eye is single, then the whole person is filled with light. That you can see the eyes are the windows to the soul. And that David's heart, remember God was looking for the heart. And I believe that's why that line is there because it was just signifying the pureness inside this young boy's heart. He's out in the field, he's, he's watching the sheep. He wasn't even considered when Samuel showed up to Jesse's house and Samuel says, bring your sons in front of me. God is about to do something powerful. I'm gonna anoint someone. Jesse didn't even think to go get David. He had the other seven sons, but David wasn't even in the running. But yet God knows where David is. Here's why you don't have to worry about other people noticing or seeing the call of God on your life. God has the call on your life. He knows where you are and he knows how to get to you. If the, no one ever sees it, God sees it because he's the one that put it there and he didn't lose it. Amen. Amen. And so they wait for David, David walks in and the Lord said to Samuel, this is the one anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took a flask of olive oil that he had brought and he anointed David with oil. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David powerfully from that day on. And I believe that's why when David walked into the situation with Goliath, that everyone else was cowering and in fear, even the king, even the king didn't know what to do with Goliath, Saul. But David walks in and something on the inside of him rises up and says, this should not be this way. And so many times that's when the calling arises and emerges. You're in a, you're in a, a moment in a business meeting. You're, you're, you're walking through a city. You're, you're a teacher out of school. I mean, something happens to where the Holy Spirit, who, which, which you're anointed by, begins to awaken and say, this is why I anointed you. Everyone else is running away with their hands in the air saying, we don't know what to do, but something inside of you says, God has a plan. And you need to listen to that voice. You need to listen to that awakening on the inside. David was anointed mightily in that moment with the spirit of God, but then he went right back out and started watching sheep again. But then all of a sudden, say all of a sudden, there was a challenge, there was an opposition, there was a crisis, something happened and the Holy Spirit awakened that which he had planted on the inside of David for such a time as this. So this whole concept of God using unlikely heroes and awkward individuals, again, this is a important message to me because like I said, it was something that I heard similar when I was in junior high. And I remember the evangelists that came. I love evangelists. And they have such an anointing on them to come from a different perspective. And this individual came to my junior high youth group and he was dressed like a nerd. 
That, I, I'm, not, I'm not accusing him. He called himself a nerd. He dressed like a nerd. He had like big glasses and colorful like suspenders and like shorts up to here on purpose. It was a costume. You, you think I'm insulting him. I'm not insulting him. He meant us to call him a nerd. Can I hear that? Is okay? You okay with that? You're like, that sounds so offensive. But that's what he called himself. He had funny shoes on, funny glasses, and he was trying to be over the top, corny, silly, awkward and all that stuff. He actually had a shirt on that said nerd. He was so proud of just being a nerd, being an outsider, being not the one that felt the most successful or the most, um, the one that we would choose to be the one used of God. And I still remember being so challenged by his message. He actually sold shirts with a word nerd on it so that we would wear it. If I wasn't already awkward, I was so proud to wear that shirt though. I went to school wearing a shirt that called, I called myself a nerd. Because on the back had this verse that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And I wanna just share that with you today because I don't know why you might feel like an outsider. I don't know why you may feel like you're not the chosen one or the qualified. You're not smart enough. You're not wealthy enough. You're not talented. You're not the popular one. You're not the one everyone else is choosing. How could God choose you? God does it all the time. Because this world judges differently than God judges. This world sees things differently than God sees. And do not rate your ability or your talent or your impact in this generation based on what other people call you or they don't call you. Don't judge your influence or impact based on how many people wanna follow you or don't wanna follow you. Are you hearing me? Don't wait for someone else to tell you who you are. Let Jesus Christ, your creator, your God, the Holy Spirit on the inside, let him define you. He is the one that knows your limitations. And with him, you have very few, by the way. Amen. He knows your potential. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 says this. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. So many times we've judged others and even ourselves from just fleshly vision, fleshly eyes. And the apostle here is saying, stop it. Stop evaluating others from purely a human point of view. At one time, that's the way we thought of Christ, merely from a human point of view. Oh, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life is begun. And it is a bigger life. It has more power, it has more potential, it has more impact because you are in Christ. You have a new life in Christ. Stop evaluating individuals based on purely human judgment and human points of view. We sometimes subconsciously believe that world changers and great leaders have a certain personality. That in order to turn something around, they've got to have that kind of cowboy, you know, kick the door open, blazing with guns, and I'm going to fix this thing. But what if God chooses to use someone who on the outside looks quiet, looks gentle, there's steel wrapped in velvet, but you wouldn't have chosen them because you're looking for the, the gun blazing. Are you hearing me? But maybe your answer, or maybe the one that God's gonna use to be the chain breaker, the fire starter, maybe it's someone that you wouldn't have seen, but God knows. We don't realize how many predetermined ideas that we have on how God is going to change or who God is gonna use. And that's why, again, we disqualify ourselves because we think God's gonna use this personality type. 
those really eloquent individuals, those really confident individuals, what if God chooses to use someone that struggled with their security all of their life? What if they've been particularly insecure in environments and yet because they operated in faith, they stepped past that insecurity and let God use them? Don't you think God could use someone like that who's willing they're not naturally outgoing, but by faith they choose to speak when they're scared on the inside. Amen. Amen. Let's think about Jesus even. God obviously using Jesus or in Jesus, but do you know Jesus didn't fit the mold? Jesus didn't fit the mold of the one that we should have chosen or would have, would have asked. He didn't come from the wealthy family. He didn't necessarily have outward things that attracted you to him. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse two through three, talking about Jesus. This is a prophecy about the coming of Jesus. This was describing what Jesus would be like. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in the ground. Listen to this. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. There was nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest of grief. We turned our back on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. The Bible right here is telling you that it wasn't because Jesus was the most attractive. It wasn't something on him in the natural that would have made you think he was the savior of the world. Are you hearing this church? You might have just passed right over him because he was so plain maybe underwhelming in the natural, but he's the very son of God. He is God in the flesh. Are you hearing me, church? He's the Messiah, savior of the world. But we even missed him because we were looking for some outward sign of the Messiah, what the king of kings would look like, his personality type. We think he should have come in and taken on Rome. They thought in his triumphal entry that he was coming and he was gonna bring the hosts of heaven and he was gonna turn this thing upside down and he was gonna just do it the way they wanted. But yet God had a better plan. God has an eternal plan. He wasn't just trying to save that one group of people, he was trying to save the world. Yeah. Hear me church? And there's a different spirit in a kingdom of God catalyst because they're not asking to be used of God to be seen or to be famous. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 through 28, Jesus teaching on leadership. He's trying to reproduce his heart into the next generation of leaders, which would be the disciples and the apostles. And he says this, you know the rulers of this world, they lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader, so it's okay to want to be a leader, by the way. Yeah. Although many of these became leaders without necessarily desiring leadership, it just kind of found them. It is okay to desire to be a leader in the kingdom. He says, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. 
You see, that's a different spirit than what we would have thought the world changer, the fire starter, the chain breaker was gonna be like. We thought that he was gonna come with boldness and authority and confidence, and he was just gonna shake it up and this certain personality type. And he said, no, you're gonna lead by laying your life down. You're gonna lead by sacrificing first. You're going to lead by serving other people, not waiting for other people to follow, worship, honor, celebrate. You're here for them, they're not here for you. Somebody say amen. That's leadership. That's leadership. That's that pure heart that God is looking for. So why does God use so many unlikely heroes? Sometimes the proud and successful in this world are not willing to risk their comfort. They're not willing to risk their fortune. They're not willing to help move along God's plans because they're too busy thinking about their own plans. And that doesn't mean that God can't and hasn't used very successful people in the world. He can, but they have to be willing to lay it all down at his feet. Are you hearing me, church? They have to be willing to submit. They have to be willing to humble themselves. And sometimes that's hard for people who have all the natural abilities, who have all the things that the world celebrates as they're the successful ones, they're the answers. And yet here you have this other group that are willing to do whatever needs to be done. Yes, God does use influencers at times throughout the scriptures, but the majority of his solutions came from unlikely and seemingly unqualified people. They just did because these people, they're just there, they're willing. I looked up unlikely heroes in the, on the internet this week. I said, unlikely hero stories. I just wanted to see what would come up. And it was interesting. The first story that came up was just a little, a novel that I read years ago by J.R.R. Tolkien called The Fellowship of the Rings. And the first character that came up was this little guy named Frodo Baggins. He's a hobbit. If you've not read the books or seen the movies or whatever, he's a hobbit. And it actually follows a line of thinking very similar to what we're talking about today. Because he wasn't the big people. In this story, there was the kingdom of men, there were the kingdom of dwarves, there was all these other kingdoms of, of warriors, of tall, strong fighters and wealthy kingdoms. And the hobbits were just these little rural, kind of peace-loving, fun-loving, frolicking prairie individuals that just lived in their own part of the world, kind of oblivious to this coming darkness and coming war that was kind of brooding, that was happening in their time. They were, they were kind of just out of it. And this opportunity to carry the solution, which was to carry this little ring, to carry this burden, this responsibility, came to this little Frodo Baggins, this little half size of a human individual who wasn't looking to save the world, who wasn't looking to do anything great, who was out in the farms and out in the fields, far away from where the trouble was, but yet the burden and the responsibility came to him. And it didn't come to him because he was the strongest and it didn't come to him because he even asked for it, it just came into his hands. And he became the only one that could carry this responsibility or this burden. He had to go and destroy this ring because he was the only one that could be trusted to not be corrupted by pride. 
He was the only one that wouldn't try to take the ring for himself and try to dominate humanity or the world with that type of power. He could be trusted. That was the only reason. He didn't have the strength. He wasn't even around the battle, but he would just be an individual that could be trusted. And I just started thinking about these parallels into like David and into this story and that there is in each of these stories in the Bible, there is this hopeless situation that's coming. There's just oppression or war or drama that's happening and God chooses an individual that can be trusted. Not the individual that maybe on the outside looked like the most natural, not the individual that looked like the strongest or was already in line for the kingdom, but he went and chose the little boy in the field that was watching sheep. And that little boy wasn't even by the battle. Are you hearing me, church? But God knew where he was and God knew that he could be trusted. And so he was given the responsibility, the assignment. God knew his heart. And I began to just kind of unpack that character trait. The kingdom of God heroes were those who were willing to obey regardless of temptation or pressure. That's what was in David. And even in that silly little story of Frodo Baggins, the temptation to take the ring for himself, the temptation to wield the power and be, create his own you know, kingdom, he could be trusted to just do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Amen. That's what makes heroes in the Bible. That's what made that little Frodo the right character in the story. And that's what the author was trying to highlight because so many times the hero comes from the great king or the great prince, not from the unlikely hero out in the field who the only talent they have is loyalty and faithfulness. Because we're always looking for the people to rise up that impress us on the outside. And we're not looking for what impresses God, which is on the inside. Are you hearing me, church? See, God heroes step forward when other people are stepping backward. They choose to face ridicule and being misunderstood. We choose to carry the assignment for God's glory and not our own. In Frodo's case, the ring came to him, the burden and the responsibility. It wasn't something that he sought after. And I really believe that's something that I'm supposed to challenge this room for because I think opportunities are about to come to many of you and you weren't asking to be great in the kingdom. You weren't asking to be a leader in this generation, but I'm telling you, I know it in my heart. This isn't just a nice little message that God is awakening fire starters, chain breakers, influencers in his kingdom in this room and watching online, but you've written yourself out of it. You've written yourself out of the story. Again, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too weak. I'm not as good as someone else. And I'm trying to show you today. See, here's the thing. In each of these stories, there was darkness coming and sweeping the earth. And this is a big point in today's message, by the way. The world needs leaders and heroes when times are dark. Too many times we're waiting for God to call us and use us when we think the environment is conducive for a move of God. When we think everybody wants to be a Christian. No, God raises world changers when no one wants to be a Christian. We're waiting for the government to give us permission to build and to plant and to preach the gospel when God raises up kingdom leaders and world changers when governments are against them. And you're like, I'm not that kind of person. I don't, I don't get involved in those things. 
And again, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the holiness of the message, but that's again why this illustration of Frodo Baggins was such a big deal when I was reading it and kind of comparing because he wasn't on the front lines of the battle. Too many times we as Christians think the darkness is way over there in Washington. The darkness is way over there on the other side of the world. The darkness is someone else's problem, but one day that darkness will come into your backyard too. And God may call you from your peaceful comfort now to raise you up to go get involved with what's going on in the world. <laughs> That's the way God does things. David was out playing his harp and watching his father's sheep, not realizing the next day when he went on a simple errand to bring lunch to his brothers, he'd be called into the battle. Amen, church. Jesus even said, when, you know, when things lose hope and the world looks the sickest, Matthew 4, 16, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Don't wait for the environment to be conducive for a move of God. When it's darkest is when the light shines the brightest. I am seeing the atmosphere change and being ripe for the greatest move of God in the history of the world. And again, with respect, I keep using the parallel of the story of Frodo and David, but there's this one line in the book where Frodo is having a conversation with his friend Gandalf, and he says, I wish that it would not have happened in my time, in his lifetime, this war, this darkness covering the earth. I wish it would not have happened in my time. His friend Gandalf replies, so do all who live to see such times but that is not for us to decide. All we have to do is to decide what to do with the times we are given. And I began to think, and I'm gonna borrow a couple extra minutes of your time because this is really important. Um, I don't know what's gonna happen in the next five years of this planet. And I am not a doom and gloom preacher because my eyes are on Jesus, not the devil. Okay, amen. But I don't know that we're raising up a strong enough church if we go through a really tough spot. I don't know that we're raising up strong enough prayer warriors, strong enough biblically literate individuals, strong enough evangelists and preachers that if we really went through a tough spot, what would happen? And like Frodo here, he's like, I didn't wanna live in this difficult time. I would have liked to have lived in the time where everybody wanted to be a Christian. I want, to, I want to plan a church in a time where everyone wants to go to church. You hearing me, church? You hearing this? But imagine being born in the early days of Christianity where they're taking on the entire world for the first time. Someone had to be lights in that darkness and in that persecution. Imagine being alive during the time of the Black Plague or any plague or famine that hit the land and where people are just dying, 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 dying and, and you're burying just bodies and children and families and, and yet still someone was born and called to be a light and a testimony of the kingdom in that period of time. Imagine trying to plant churches or be an evangelist during the Great Depression. When there's food lines that are so long and people couldn't pay the bills and people are starving and yet still God is looking for individuals to be 
fire starters, chain breakers, hope bringers to bring the gospel into that generation? What if we don't have the most prosperous next five years? Maybe we will, maybe we will. I'm not denying that we can. I'm just trying to raise a church that no matter the darkness is going to be strong enough and to be willing to do what God is calling them to do and stop waiting for a better day or a better season. You were born for such a time as this. You were brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. Whatever happens, you are God's plan A and there is no plan B. No one else is coming. You are the ones here right now. And so no matter what comes, you are the ones God is calling. You are the ones that have the kingdom on the inside, that have trustworthy hearts. Stop, stop disqualifying yourself because of outward things and just have a heart that says, God, here am I, use me, send me, I'm willing. The power of one. So I just speak that over you today. Your value and importance to this generation, your value and importance to the plan of God. And regardless of if the environment becomes favorable to church or becomes more hostile towards church, God already knew that in the timeline when he puts you here. And he knows why he's sending you out now. He knows why he's giving you this message now. And he's asking you to be willing and obedient. Let me pray this over your life. Did you get anything out of that today? Can you celebrate God for his word? Amen. I wanna pray this into your life. Just put your hand over your heart. Heavenly Father, right now I thank you. I thank you for your word. Your word brings light. So the Bible says, the entrance of your word brings light. And I believe there are a bunch of individuals in this room, really anyone who'd be willing, but God, there's a bunch of leaders in this room that need to awaken. There's a bunch of fire starters, world changers, chain breakers that need to start saying yes to the opportunities you're about to bring their way. God, I pray this message burns in their heart and doesn't let them stay silent when the Goliaths start to shout, but something inside of them rises up and they discover what they've been anointed for and why they're here. Or we don't know what's gonna happen in the next five years. Maybe it's gonna be the best five years we've ever seen in the history of the planet. That'd be awesome. But Lord, even if it isn't, and if it's huge darkness that hits this planet, I thank you for church and individuals that are strong enough and called and anointed and that God, they're committed. And that's why you chose them is because they would be faithful to do what you've said, whether it's easy or whether it's difficult. And they won't look to the left or to the right and they won't quit. They will be faithful to preach and to be there and to do what you've called them to do. Lord, I thank you for this word. Let it be so like a seed in their heart, seed in their heart, and let it grow into fruition in their life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Go ahead and just give God praise. Amen. Before I dismiss you, I wanna give you an opportunity today to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which means all of us need a savior. The Bible goes on to say that the wages and cost of our sin is death, which is separation from God, even hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. The Bible goes on to say that all who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so today I wanna give you an opportunity to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ 
not only to forgive you of your sins, but to save you into the family of God. And so today, if you'll all bow your heads and close your eyes for the next 30 seconds, if you have never asked Jesus Christ to be your savior, if you don't remember a time in your life that you asked him to forgive you of your sins and to be your God, when I count to three today, I just want you to raise your hand and I'm gonna pray for you right where you are. You might also say, you know, pastor, I used to have a thriving relationship with God, but if I was honest, I've walked away. If I'm honest, I'm not where I should be with God and I would like to have a restart, a fresh start. Would you pray for me? When I count to three, just like the first group, just raise your hand and we'll pray for you as well. I'm going to lead you in a short prayer and God is going to be listening to your heart. Mean it with all your heart and he'll forgive you, he'll save you, he'll come into your life, make you one of his family. And so if you're ready, on the count of three, just raise your hand. You've never given your life to him or you wanna recommit, simply raise your hand. Ready, one, two, three. If that's you, would you put your hand up today? There's one hand there, two, three. That's awesome, praise God, it's like a whole row. It's great, three. Anyone else? Four up here. Anyone else? Five in the middle, great. Put it up, put it up, put it up. Six, I see you there, awesome. Anyone else? Anyone else? Seven, amen. Eight, nine, 10, 11, amen. Anybody else? All right, church, let's pray a prayer. I'll lead you all. We're gonna pray with you so you're not praying by yourself. Repeat this prayer with me. Dear God, I thank you that you see me just as I am. I realize that I've sinned and I've walked away from you. I receive Jesus Christ today as my Lord and my Savior. I believe that he died for me and that he rose again. Please forgive me of my sins. Wash me, cleanse me, make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take every part of me now. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God praise and welcome We hope you have been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person for our Sunday morning worship experience every Sunday at 10 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. There you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God.